What is up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of Moon Grow. I'm your host, Luna Whitcomb. Um, today we got Johnny Gillian, homie of mine out in New York. Johnny, how's it going? Hey, Luna. Thanks for having me. We've been trying to do this for a few months now, and uh, finally things are slowing down. Where I'm like, you know, let's let's make it happen. Um, things are good. Things are good. Um, just kind of unwinding from the the day's labors. Um, doing a lot of like processing right now and just breaking plants down. And that's why my voice is all nasally. I just absolutely am getting just devastated in the dry room with my allergies. So, Oh no, I do. I hate that. I've, I've been it's dealing so with bad. that. It's, it's crippling at this point in time. I have to wear like a N95 mask or a respirator and it's all still the time. Yeah. Like yeah. the trichomes just flying around in the air and yeah. And just like plant, debris you know like it really it's gotten worse over the years it's it's a a curse for sure tell me about the project you run okay so it's um it's about four thousand square feet it's a little mixed light grow um kind of um north like upstate new york region um definitely had some challenges it's the first time i've really cultivated in new york anything um substantially sized and um, lots of lots of issues with just climate control. Um, it, it's it's tough to keep things in check. Um, just very wet summers. Were they uh, like low tech greenhouses? No, honestly, there. I mean, there's dehoms. There was it was um, you know uh, light assist, but it's just even with the dehoms, they're like two massive. These things, you know, are probably pulling like 300, 400 pints per day. There's two of them, and it's just it's like 90% humidity out um, a lot of times. That's crazy. Yeah, it it was, I've never seen anything like it. I'm like, these things are running all the time and it's still just barely able to keep up. Um, Summers are really, really wet and hot and wet. And then it kind of dries down around this time of year where it's, it's, you know, 30% humidity. So there's a lot of um, major swings that happen throughout the season. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm dealing with, with the same. It's, what is it right now? It's 20, 23% humidity here. It's super dry. It's, it it's kind of always dry where you're at, right? For the most part. It is. I in the summer times, it'll, it'll get down to like 5% humidity. It's wow. brutal. It's brutal. Yeah, for the plants, like, for you, for like, that's, I don't even know if I know what that feels like. It sucks. It sucks. My sinuses hate me. Um, we have to like run misters. We like run misters on the greenhouse. I bet. Yeah, and it's probably just having things in the dry, like drying. It's you probably got to be like on it, getting things down, and making sure that that doesn't doesn't get over dry. Yeah, definitely. We keep everything in a a, <clears throat> a refrigerated uh, shipping container. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it works out pretty good. We have nice. Is that full in humidity there. though? The refrigeration in it. Um, we actually don't run the re- the refrigerator aspect of it. Okay, like, it's just insulated. So it's just like it's just like insulated, and then we yeah, have yeah. a a mini split set up, and we have a humidifier in there, and like fans. you have a humidifier. That's yeah, that's something that like a lot of people are like, "What? You have a humidifier in your dry in room? my dry room?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, actually, we don't I need know. a dehum. No, never. We never need a dehum. It's always it's always add moisture. Opposite. Mm-hmm. How do you go about that? I'm just curious. Like, is it like, because a lot of the dehums I've seen, or the humidifiers I've seen, it's like not something you'd really want to have like 
Adam, do you have something that really atomizes it like super fine or is it just like a... We use like house humidifiers. Okay. You know, because there's those like grow room ones, which we yeah. have in our, in our indoor and stuff, which, you know, they blast like this fucking... Massive fog, of... yeah. <laughs> beam of moisture. Um, and that's too much, right? Because then we just yeah. have like a ton of humidity in this one spot and then it kind of dissipates, whatever. So we just have multiple small ones. Okay. That just kind of do their nice. thing. Yeah. How do they? How do they go? They go <laughs> just like that. Yeah, like a little fountain, like the Bellagio. My, my dry space, <laughs> real like fancy. The Bellagio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's real fancy. We got the lights and everything. No, no, I don't. I'm just kidding. But um, cool. So you were growing out in uh, New York doing mixed light stuff. You was it all? It's all living soil. Unfortunately, not the the spot I moved back to run um, is still awaiting a license. New York State was supposed to have had things the ball rolling, but they kind of they dragged their feet um, and didn't issue any new cultivation licenses last year. So for okay. the the first two years of legal New York State cultivation, it's been um, only the people who had hemp licenses were able to start growing cannabis, which is really an interesting way to go about it. And I think pretty unique as far as rollouts go where New York state had their hemp program and they're like, Hey, if you're growing hemp, you can, you know, you get first dibs. Um, and the first year, you know, I feel bad for these, these people because, you know, all these hemp farmers are, they have these high aspirations of how things are going to go. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, there it's steve hey steve yeah that's steve um so the, these hemp farmers are all excited and they're like yes you know we can grow and new york state didn't have any dispensaries open for none for a long time it took you know people had their first harvest in and they didn't have an option for putting it in dispensary for i'm gonna say it was i think over six months um so people you know they're they have all this product that's sitting around a lot of these people don't necessarily have the, they weren't ready to be storing uh, product for that long and, or anticipating storing it that long. So a lot of people ran into some issues, obviously, you know, sitting on product for a long, the longer you're waiting and sitting around on product after a certain point, it's, it becomes tricky to keep it in a, in a, like a ideal state for that long. Um, so yeah, these people basically sat on product. And now I think there's only 21 dispensaries, 22 in the state for, really? you know, in New yeah, York? I think, I'm trying to think it's like 18 million people here. I could be Jesus. wrong, but it's a really small amount. So it's still like, even though there is dispensary and retail locations, it's um, not the easiest thing to be able to get your product moving. Yeah. Yeah, I people. bet. So I bet it was pretty difficult for you to, 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 uh, to work on an operation that, that uh, wasn't doing living soil. I bet that was yeah, it was, it was a little bit, you know, it's a little soul crushing, you know, I've spent the last four years, really, I transitioned from salt growing originally. And I'm like, yeah, I'm never going back. And just, you know, I moved back here and I'm like kind of waiting for waiting for the licensing to, to roll out. And I'm like, well, got to find some work. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful that this spot was there. It's, you know, it, really close by to where I'm at and the only other one in the County that I'm in. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, for me, it's just 
really just going through the motions with that. It takes a lot of the, the soul out of it, which right. I think is a kind of an important, important factor, you know? Yeah, uh, of course. Versus just, you know, here we go. Like there's, you know, your 20 milliliters of this and your 18 milliliters of that. And Pump it and dump it, baby. Pump yeah, it and dump yeah, it's it. so easy. Cocoa, it's, you know, we're doing disposable cocoa bags and it makes, you know, I, as much as I don't like it and don't, you know, it's not my preferred technique. I understand why a commercial cultivator would want to do it. It just makes it really, you know, commercially viable um and easy but i don't know good things in life aren't always easy you don't get what you want <laughs> but i know you've been growing living soil for forever how long how long you've been doing living soil for now uh not forever but like four years and i really for a long time. okay i i really i i dove in and it's it's something i'm really passionate about and from my own personal you know grow and for the one that i'm going to be transitioning to we're going to be doing living soil and, you know, uh, you know, we're going to be using some potting soil. The, the soil that we have, the native soil at the location is really sandy, like really, really sandy, which is great for some things. Um, nutritionally, it's not the best, obviously. Water retention, you know, it's not the best. But um, drainage. <laughs> yeah, a great drainage. So, <laughs> and we're, you know, we're going to do a, uh, you know, small layer of potting soil just to have like a good kind of base uh kind of zone to have our, our you know our roots in and then just tap right into that native soil cool fuck yeah um so i mean i i know you're doing uh you have a bunch of stuff are you still doing all that work with um the fcp yeah yeah i still have the the weekly thing going on with them um the dank hour it's it's fun there's a just you know, for me, it's it's really like a crash course in whatever the guest is is talking about. It's it's a really amazing program where we have a lot of really, um, you know, it's a multi, lots of people from different uh, facets of the industry where, you know, we'll have doctors who are studying terpenes or, um, you know, people who are doing involved with the legal side, breeders, um, cultivators. So it's it's a really like eclectic mix of, of hosts or of guests. What, what's something that you've uh, that you've learned lately? Oh man! Well, my favorite show in the past year has been um, with Dr. James White, and him, oh, him yeah. coming on and talking about you know the rhizophagy cycle and, and endophytes. Mm -hmm. It's it's really yeah, a, it's, really cool. it, it's just so so amazing to to have that kind of verification that that plants are operating. You know, we all know that that humans and, and animals have this complex system where we're, you know, microbes are working with us, in us, um, and kind of doing their own things in this symbiotic relationship. And, and you know, you could kind of, it, it makes sense that that's happening with plants as well. Um, but to have kind of the, the research there, putting that like, and showing us that that's what's going on is, is pretty fascinating. Yeah, I've been diving deep into the rise of Figgy cycle a lot lately. I'm just kind of like, exploring ideas how to like promote it um one of the things i've been thinking about kind of surrounding it sorry i'm like playing with my lighting um is the potential to interrupt the rise of figgy cycle by overusing bacterial additives um and i'm wondering because i see a lot of people um i'm not trying to shut out anyone's techniques but i see a lot of people using a lot of um ferments 
a lot, like using a lot of bacteria sources, like a lot. Um, and I feel like perpetually adding um, a bunch of bacteria throughout the growth cycle without letting the rhizophagy cycle feed specific profiles to like make specific nutrients available can like interrupt it. Um, like there, there has to be the potential for that. Like rinsing away the bacteria that's breaking down specific things, nitrogen cycle, phosphorus cycle, um, and preventing the plants from actually developing properly. Um, and I've been asking around, like if I see someone like having a podcast or whatever, or like doing an Instagram live, like, like I'll try to like ask them and like get different responses from everyone. And everyone always says something different. Um, what do you think? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that I agree with you. And I also nutritionally wise, you know, there's a lot of things that can interrupt it. Um, as mm -hmm. far as just, you know, obviously synthetic nutrients are going to hinder that greatly. Why mm -hmm. would the plant be putting in the energy to do that when it can, when it doesn't need to, um, and nutritionally or in, in as far as the, the biology aspect, you know, each plant has kind of their own, you know, set of endophytes that, that work with them. And so, I mean, I'm sure there's some flux going on. But it's it's specific. So if you're starting to to flood things out and, and put in different biology all the time, you know I think that there's a that's a could be a, a case that you you might be interrupting that cycle to an extent and not letting the plant really do its own thing and figure its own um, you know relationships with these microbes out. You're kind of inserting yourself and playing God when you do that to a certain extent you know there could be major benefits so there could be benefits to adding biology but yeah i feel like it, it could it could be hindering it or if anything it could just be redundant after a certain point in time where it's like yeah you have biology there and you're just you just keep laying it on and after a certain point it's like yeah it might not be doing anything or it might be hindering it versus making it making the system work more efficiently yeah lose the balance and then you're screwed right Ken just pops in. <laughs> <laughs> I can, but I can. Um, yeah, dude, 100%. And that's like one of the things that that um, I try to like preach to people is that, um, you know, you're only going to see like physiological responses in your plant if your soil is lacking the piece of the puzzle that you introduce, you know? Um, and oftentimes people judge like the the efficacy or or validity or whatever of, of a particular input based on like the physiological response that you get from it, you know, like, oh, I used this and I didn't do anything like this product is worthless. Um, and it has more to do with like um, whether or not your soil needed that particular input and then you add it. And so like, like you were saying, the redundancy, like if we have plenty of, of bacteria, biology, adding more isn't going to help you. Um, and I, I think everyone gets gets um, passionate about making different things and wanting to uh, make these concoctions and mix up all these different things and then find out that, you know, your soil doesn't need it. Um, it's not really like helping you out. Um, yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. And it's, it's, it's fun to make these inputs. It's it's fun to do it to a certain extent. I mean, myself personally, I, I was kind of going really deep into Korean natural farming for a while. And then I realized, like, after a certain point, I really, you know, I try to be efficient and, and, and be a minimal, have to take a minimalist approach and give the plants what they need and kind of set back and just, you know, make sure things that they're on the right course. 
um, versus really be tinkering a lot and, and constantly applying these inputs. But they do have a, you know, sometimes they have a, you know, if they're needed, like you said, it's like sometimes if you're lacking, you know, you apply these things and it's, you have an amazing result, but other times it could just be your, you know, like it's just, yeah, redundant over and over. If your soil is already set up for success from the, the get go, it's nutritionally balanced. You have, you know, it's, it's inoculated already with, uh, you know, a robust microbial community. Sometimes you don't really need to be continually doing it and you can just kind of sit back and, and let them do their thing. Definitely. Definitely. You know, we, we buy or build these really complicated soils with, you know, very balanced nutrient profiles. And then we want to put our brown sugar in our, and all of our stuff all over and expect it to be better. You know, a lot of the time these built soils are just ready to rock. Give them some bacteria, kickstart them a little bit with some amino acids and then just water them just water the plants yeah water them right that's some mm -hmm. i mean you know it i'm better than most i'm sure about just watering that's like the biggest in my eyes like the biggest factor in a in a grow it's could throw off everything or or you could really maximize and i i love my blue mat system for my you know personal grow it really mm -hmm. keeps a lot of the guessing and subjectivity out of it where it's like, okay, it's good. It's set to where I want it. And the plants respond amazing. Um, so th that, and people so often they'll see a watering issue or they'll see issues and it comes down to like just improper irrigation. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's so easy to misdiagnose a problem because, you know, you let your soil dry out too much and now it's starting to show deficiencies and then people yep. want to pump it with like, oh, it's showing this sign that I saw inside of, you know, this book with this deficiency next to it. So I'm going to add this nutrient to it and it's going to fix it. And we end up compounding the problem and creating issues for a long period of time. Yep. 100%. And I'm guilty of it too, you know, but some of my other plants that aren't hooked up to the blue mat, you know, it happens. Sometimes you, you know, you do let something get too dry or sometimes you, you have something and it gets overwatered for a bit and really you just got, it's one of those things that comes with experience. So especially with living soil, it's so important with living soil. Like, you know, you, you have to kind of ditch that, you know, synthetic nutrient mindset of like, okay, like I'm going to let this thing dry out to a bone and I'm just going to water it, you know, until runoff. And then I'm going to let it dry to a it, it doesn't work like that. And you kind of have, there's a lot more of just keeping it consistent versus, you know, um, letting those, those big dry down cycles occur, yeah, which I mean, the drybacks they, the dry they have, you know, they have their function, you know, uh, there's some studies about terpenes and drybacks and, and how a little bit of drought stress will raise terpenes. And mm -hmm. there's kind of this, this point where you start to, have an increase in terpenes, but a loss, a reduction in yield, um, too, where it's like, you have to make that decision. It's like, do you want to have those drybacks and, and for the added terpenes and sacrifice yield? Um, or do you kind of want to play in the middle and have like light drybacks and, and be able to still optimize your yield and, and kind of, um, find that happy medium. And it's something I saw with the, with the dry farm, um, project that I did a couple years ago where those plants definitely didn't yield um, as well as they probably would have if they were irrigated more. 
Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I and I didn't have a side by side of plants that I was uh, irrigating versus just letting, you know, basically tap into the native soil and the water there. Um, but I, I do have to say those plants were some of the most terpene rich um, plants that I've ever grown. Interesting. Were you using, were you adding like uh, biology bacteria to? No, um, it was a really primitive setup. Um, and we honestly, you know, we got a soil test in the beginning of the year, saw that it was good to go and basically just watered them for the first week and just let them do their thing. And throughout the field, there'd be, you know, there's mushrooms popping up here and there. So thing, they were doing their thing and, and the biology was there. Um, it's something that if I got in the project earlier, I would have liked to um, incorporate biology. Um, I kind of got into it, you know, in a just in time to get the plants in the ground. Um, but I probably would have been doing something like a simple, you know, I really, I like, um, you know, the Jadam microbial solution is something that I, I like to use, um, you know, not all the time, but in the beginning of a season, at the end of a season, um, if I was going to apply like some sort of top dress, um, apply it then to get kind of the ball rolling and help break those things down a little quicker. So that's like the potato leaf mold. Yep. Area. Yep. And it's, it's super easy and it's just, it's easy to scale that. Um, it doesn't take a lot of time. It's inexpensive. As far as labor goes, it's, there's like none, you know, it's really the application of it versus something like an IMO, you know, where it's like for an acre of IM or to apply an acre of IMO, you're making like 1300 pounds and, you know, going out in the woods and getting your collection and turning the pile and, I just realized like, yeah, that's fun on like a small scale and it works, but it on a large scale, there's no way I'm going to be out there monitoring a 1200 pound pile and, and, uh, you know, trying to keep that, you know, under 120 degrees for two weeks. Yeah. You know, I looked at that whole workload and, you know, I was always interested by IMO. The concept behind it seemed interesting. Um, but I was never completely sold. So I never just went through the whole thing. Um, uh, there were a few things that didn't make sense to me. It sounds like, you know, you, you've done the whole process, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, do you think, do you think that it holds any like superiority to like earthworm castings or insect frost or, or, or just compost or insect frost or even JMS? Um, you know, for what it's worth, like putting in all that labor, I think it would be, you know, much more, you, you know, you're getting, you're collecting the, the biology on the leaf mold where you put your boxes and you're already kind of bottlenecking what's, what's going into it. Um, there's no way that that inoculant is going to, that rice inoculant is going to have everything that the leaf mold does. Um, just by its very nature, there's going to be some things that just don't want to, to go up there on, on, the, on rice. The rice. Right. And then, you know, you're keeping like, so personally, I would rather just, if I did want to make like a mesophilic pile like that i would just grab leaf mold and do that do it like that versus um going through the imo collection process that's you know it's something i would do with like a kid or you know it's fun you know it's like cool look but no i think honestly and i've made piles like that where i just use leaf mold i got a lot of um a lot of grief from the knf community when i started playing around and saying i was doing that um because that kind of rigid dogma and i'm like 
Yeah, I mean, what's, you know, you get leaf mold and you do the same process. What's really the big deal? Um, seemingly, you know, visually it's the same. All the, um, you know, all of the kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, just looking, smelling, feeling, all of those senses, it looks the exact same. Um, <clears throat> I've also um, messed around with applying JMS to to a pile of, of carbohydrates in, in carbon. And I, I sent a sample of it to one of my buddies to look at with a microscope. And he was like, what is this? Is this IMO? Like he couldn't really tell the difference. Um, he did notice there was um, some anaerobes in the pile versus like an IMO. And he thought it might've just gotten too hot, but he's like, yeah, no, it's a really diverse looking. There's lots of fungal spores, lots of bacteria in there. Um, you know, so for me, finding those kind of those kind of ways around some of that steeper, um, you know, just the labor, it was it was big. But now I really, you know, I like you know, wood chips are great. Um, just a mulch layer. It's amazing how much a, a nice mulch layer can do, um, you know, for, for just the soil. It just, you know, I had a um, what was a camellia bush in my backyard where I was living before. And the soil around it was, you couldn't grab a handful. It was just so compacted. And after applying like a nice hardy layer of mulch, I had wood chips and I would, you know, grab some, you know, a bunch of grass, like longer grass and throw it on there. And within six months I could grab, you know, up to like, you know, here and get in there. There's worms and the soil had just gotten so loose and fluffy and, and rich, um, just filled with castings. And the health of that plant went from really like struggling to, you know, it was a beautiful, healthy plant. And it did, it had a lot of um, signs of nutritional deficiencies um, for a while, you know, when I, we first got there. And then I started doing that and it, it was just a beautiful color of green, just really consistent, you know, excellent. It was putting out crazy flower sets um, and I was just kind of sold on it. I'm like mulch, you know, mulch was the, the answer there. I mean, that's the, that's the carbon right there. Just adding carbon to the, to the surface. Um, you know, I'm big on wood chips. My bed is just uh, covered in wood chips and then uh, alfalfa straw and, um, oh, oh, it's alfalfa oat and barley straw. Yeah. Um, I bet that oat and barley really kind of bring, and the wood chips, obviously they just, you know, you want fungal growth. Mushrooms everywhere, you know, yep. mushrooms show up everywhere when the misters are on because it's, you know, super fucking dry here. <laughs> it's, but yeah, once I got the humidity up in there, like immediately mushrooms just started, those little yellow ones just started popping up all over the place. That's a, man, what it, so that's like a crazy battle. I know we were already talking about it, but what's the, like, I bet you're just constantly trying to get it humid in there. What, are you able to get it kind of close to a desirable range or is it just like, yeah, making it work? No, no but I still, I mean, I still made it work, right? Yeah. Like I got great development. I got but good bud structure. Um uh good yield. The quality is great. Nose is great. Weeds fire. It kicks my ass. Yeah, um, no, honestly, like I'm seeing your grown. It doesn't look like you have a climate you're battling with the climate with how the plants are looking. You talk about the indoor? I'm talking so I know your greenhouse had I saw that your greenhouse had a had you know, an issue. Yeah. 
what's up with that i was i was talking about that specifically um yes that was my summer summer fall run um and that did great yeah nice are you still is the greenhouse like you're gonna get it back up and running and i will get it back right. up and running um so i did like a seed sale and try to raise money and i did and i raised enough money nice and so i contacted um some highly recommended greenhouse people and they were super nice guys and we got it figured out um, the issue is just that they're booked out um, for a while, and I can't. I mean, I could, I could install the membrane myself, but I feel like I wouldn't. I've never installed a membrane on a forty-eight hundred square foot greenhouse, you know. Um, and I probably wouldn't do it perfectly, and I don't want the membrane to tear again. So I would yeah. just rather have professional greenhouse people come and install the membrane and do it properly, so that I'm not tearing a fucking three thousand dollar membrane yeah you know, yeah doing have that happen again right because it's still been windy like it's been crazy windy here and like the last thing i want to, is to install the membrane and then for another windstorm to come and just rip the thing before the the spring comes right yeah so yeah. i might just have to wait till after winter to get it repaired would we'll you see. be doing a winter run right now if it wasn't uh if, if that so, doesn't happen um I did a winter run last year. It's just too fucking cold here, man. Like it's it's right now it's it's 31 degrees outside, but at night um it gets down in the single digits here because we're in like the high desert. Yeah. Um and it's just it's just too cold. And like we have big um like electric heaters and like two big electric heaters, like the seven thousand watt electric heaters and like our D hums and and uh, you know the biology puts off some heat and stuff, but in the lights, right? We got a, the eleven the Thawi DEs and um it like heats it up a bit but not really enough yeah um and now without that membrane it's going to be even more difficult um however I did get a whole bunch of insulated blankets for uh like concrete curing you know what I'm talking about no no but I can they're I like can, R I, I think can they're, R7. they're like R7 blankets that you put on top of concrete to help them cure like in cold weather. Um, so I got like 13 of those and I actually put them up uh, for the second time today. I put them up once already and a windstorm came and blew everything down. <laughs> and so I installed some eyelets and stuff and there's some rivets on the blankets and then I got some big zip ties and stuff. So I, I put them back up and I'm going to zip tie them down over it and see what temps I can maintain in there. Um, during the winter time like go out there during when it's like you know when it's like five degrees out and see what the temperature is inside of the 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 auto depth and uh i might i might do a run i'd like to yeah i mean it keeps you busy and you know this time of year it's like you kind of sit around and twiddle your thumbs and a little indoor it's like it's nice but at the same time you're like all right now now what at least me anyways yeah. i'm like yeah it, it keeps you from from losing my mind it keeps you from losing my mind you know yeah like i'm a, I'm a grower like this this is what i do so like winter times are hard for me it's yeah like same, same. it's, it's nice like the couple weeks like reprieve and then i'm like okay like i'm ready for it but yeah after a certain point like up up here in upstate new york a winter run in a light assist greenhouse would be so costly you know your cost of goods is going to be Insane. substantially higher uh, right you know everything you're getting pretty much getting all of your light from your lights there's no not a lot of sunlight happening 
right. uh, freezing cold, you know, during the day and night. Um, this time of year, it'd be super dry, which at least it would have that going for it. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a tough road to, to travel, um, trying to get much further than, you know, honestly, like November. Um, that's kind of when things start to to get a little unmanageable and expensive to to do here. Yeah. And you, I mean, if it's cold, you yield less too, you know? Yep. For sure. Like soil doesn't like to get cold. Um, and I got my bed is just sitting on concrete, which was probably a mistake that I made. But, um, and we have the, uh, what are the, the heated, heated, concrete heated uh, floors, whatever. Yeah. But it's super expensive to run it. Um, would be like a hundred dollars a night to run, you know, heated floors in the in the greenhouse. So that's probably just not going to happen. But we'll see. We'll see if this works. If I can, like, if the temperatures are pretty decent, once you know, with those blankets up, and I can maintain like seventy degrees in there, I'm not to give it a shot. It's just like growing indoor in a big, yep, sixty yards of soil in a bed. You know, so that'll be interesting. It could turn up really, really good. We'll see what happens. Nice. Well, hopefully those guys can get there sooner rather than later so you can get your hands back in some substantial soil. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. So I remember a while back you were posting about your three pounds in, a, in the tent that you grew. How did you do that? How did you pull three pounds, three pounds of light, three pounds of light out of the tent that you grew in? So... I'm going to first and foremost genetics, you know, the, the cultivar that I was growing really, it made it easy. There's some things that just, that's not really going to happen. Um, it was, um, called JMO and it's, what was it? Jelly breath crossed with GMO, which GMO, you know, tends to yield and it took forever. It was, you know, 13 weeks. So there was some trade-offs there and I, you know, I vegged, I made sure that there was like a, you know, really adequate veg time, um, high plant count. And then just the, really the genetics did most of the work. Um, I and as well as just having my environment, it was, it was completely dialed. You know, I was within that, you know, ideal VPD range throughout the whole cycle and just really, you know, having the, the soil there, um, and having it be, you know, balanced from the get go on top of having the kind of consistent watering from the blue mat. And really, I just sat back and watched and was like, no way these things are, are getting like that. And going and going and going. Yeah. And I haven't replicated it since. And I've also switched genetics. I didn't hold on to those genetics for my, you know, indoor and my personal thing. I like to switch it up. I like a, the challenge of the challenge and the novelty of growing something different every time um, versus really like dialing in this, particular cultivar and just you know i would get bored after probably after the second run of it i would be like okay this is you know too much um but yeah i really i could use a, a couple more of those those three pound of light grows um <laughs> yeah you were doing you were doing like 18 inch beds right four by eight 18 four inch by eight. yeah exactly yeah i was using uh one of those living soil beds um right you know for inside it's, it's not something i'd really i prefer i definitely would prefer you know i like having the bed connected to the ground first and foremost 
Um, but inside that's not happening, you know? Um, but for what it is, you know, being inside, I figured that was a, a, a good route to go. Yeah, that's how you do it. 18 inches, 18 inch soil bed. Yeah, and I always tell people, if people ask for it, they're like, what can I do to make my grow like more efficient, make it so I can yield more, make it easier on myself? I'm like, bigger container, you know, whether it's a, a larger pot or um, a bed, like that will make it such a game changer versus, you know, trying to get those results in like a five gallon pot. Your margin of error is, is you really have to be on it. And I mess around every now and then and I'll be like, I'm going to try to flower this plant in a, you know, a three gallon pot and see what I can do. And you're always, you're always on the edge of running into two issues. Um, whether it's something with water, it gets too dry because your root zone is, is so massive for that plant, or it's just, you run out of nutrients in that container. You have to be top dressing like crazy. Um, and that's a big, a big issue I see with a lot of people. They try to make that, make that happen with a, a small container. It's possible, but it just makes your life way harder. It's really difficult. It's, it's almost impossible to pull it off without bottled nutrient sources, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, you know, I was top dressing, um, you know, on like a weekly basis. And then I was like running into deficiencies and I'm like, okay, like I have to go more. And it's, there's a fine line, you know, between giving them just enough, not giving them enough or giving them too much. Um, so yeah, it's really the bit, the large container. It's, it was a game changer for me anyways. What was happening? Oh, is this your Instagram? That's, that is it. All right. Well, flower spider. These guys are cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, you know, fun. I still find a lot of enjoyment this season in the greenhouse. Um, even oh, look though... at the little guy. Look at the little guy. Which one? The fat bee? The, the, no, the, uh, the little gecko looking guy. Oh yeah. He was chilling. Oh, I love lizards. He looks fire. Yeah. That, th those, um, pictures of those, those three buds, those were some, some of my last round of indoor that I did. Um, really, really, uh, all nice genetics, all pretty unique. Had some of the fastest finishing, uh, cultivars I've ever, I've ever grown. Um, were one of them was done in like 50 days, which was, was really nice. Could use some more of those in my life too. Some shorter that's, flowering yeah, plants. That's super short. I see you have the picture of jasmine. Were you fermenting jasmine? Where? Oh, it looks like a jasmine bush. Up a little bit, Ken. Are we frozen? What's happening? Huh. I don't know. Oh, anyway, I yeah, right there on the right. That that's jasmine, yeah. No, so that is just that's not, uh, not a weed picture. That was me walking around uh, the street that I kind of was I grew up in, or one of the streets that I grew up around. And I was just kind of you know taking a stroll. It was my first walk around that area in like probably twenty years, and it was right outside of like the old apartment building that I lived in. And I was just uh, just appreciating that. Just a pretty tree. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, it was it was beautiful. I was be, like, oh yeah, I, I lived right tripping. here. That's it's nice. I've always wanted to ferment jasmine flowers. That would probably be delicious too. I mean, what kind of ferment are you talking? FPE or? Um, 
I would want to try to get the the jasmonic acid out of it, you know, because uh, they they named jasmonic acid after finding it in jasmine flowers, um, you know, the stress response hormone. And so, um, honestly, I've been kind of like playing around with with different ideas of like how to like appropriately extract um, uh, phytohormones, like organic acids, like and keep them viable. Um, and there's some evidence that like in fermentation, you stabilize um, some organic acids, a lot of them actually will convert into different organic acids through like microbial breakdown. Um, and other ones will get destroyed completely. It just depends on like the constitution of the organic acid. Um, and I'm not a fucking PhD, so I don't know which ones those are. Um, but I, uh, the way that like people typically extract organic acids is in like an acidic water. Um, and then they do like a distillation process or they use um, a solvent and do, uh, you know, a purge, whatever, like you would make hash or something. Um, so I've been like, I've been kind of leaning more towards that FPEs make more sense um, to harness organic acids yep. than yep. FPJs. Um, yeah, I mean, the acidic water, there it is. You have your, your lactobacillus being yeah. able to act on it. Exactly. It, I just don't know if lactobacillus is going to change jasmonic acid into something else destroy it completely or stabilize it um so i need someone who's going to test all that stuff for me but uh i would probably just do like a water soak like you know how how um uh people do the the white willow tea yeah it's, it's just like a, a steep you're steep like literally yeah. making a tea yeah you're literally making a tea and you know that was like the go-to people are just like you get the fresh green bark off of the white willow tree and you just soak it in water and you watered in your plants and you got all those oxins and stuff. And that was like the go-to for a long time for people using um, like growth hormones. Like you just soak it in water. Um, and I just dove into it a little bit and it was like, oh, it's even better if it's acidic. And so it's like, you could just uh, throw like apple cider vinegar and water down to whatever, you know, you could probably look up whatever organic acid, you know, like the pH that it prefers for whatever um, to like exist in. And pH down to that that range, and just soak it in water. Um, maybe even like sun brew it, or just in the dark. I don't know. You probably try a bunch of different ways, but make it acidic, steep it, strain it out, and water it in. Maybe dilute it if it's going to be super acidic, right? Um, that's kind of what I've been thinking of. So, like, I want to go find some jasmine jasmine flowers and try something like that skip the brown sugar skip the fancy shit yeah i mean for me it's kind of a novelty i like the the knf ferments because you know they're i like them more so because it's it's kind of neat and a lot of them they're really like tasty it's like a culinary thing almost and i'll make my own vinegar from it but yeah. it's not like really like an input that i you know actively use at this point. i'm like nah like i'll kind of skip that stuff it's, it's really interesting because like when I was first introduced to KNF, FPJs were were for hormones specifically. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then FPEs were were why can't I speak? FPEs were for nutrients specifically. And like the more that I learned about like the science behind osmotic extraction of like an FBJ, it doesn't make any sense that they pull uh, organic acids or phytohormones out. Um, uh, but then like uh, there's people who have been testing FPJs. And they actually have really decent nutrient content. Yep, um, I've seen that as well. And like, and then the FPE 
is like an acidic soak of plant inputs. And it makes sense that this is for hormones. And so like this thing that people were teaching backwards forever, it's like now, now it's understood that like it's the other way around. Um, and I kind of just, I kind of love that. I kind of think it's funny too. But... Yeah, for sure. I mean, that goes into the whole dogma thing and, and people wanting to understand and have like a really <laughs> simple solution to things and, and be able to understand. But, you know, I, it goes so much deeper than, than we, than we know. And everybody wants this clear answer. And it's, there's, there's comfort in that kind of, Oh, I have the answers and this is what it's doing, but really it's, it's overly simplified. And a lot of times, a lot of that, like, yeah, the, the, the hormonal thing, it's like, yeah, there might maybe no hormones being extracted and we're looking at the nutrient profiles of these. And it's like, Oh, it is actually a really, you know, it, it could be used as a nutritional input. Um, so, and then, you, you know, you get into a conversation and people start just shutting it down because it goes against what they kind of, they were taught. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I, I've had to distance myself from the kind of community like completely because of it. Um, it's kind of fizzled out too. I've noticed it, it has Jadam is really popular. Jadam is like the, exploded. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it really was a hot topic. It was like the buzzword for the last few years. Um, it was everywhere. You know, you go on social media, you go to a cannabis grower, and if they're growing organically, there's that, almost always some mention of some sort of KNF input or all of them. And it's really fizzled out where I'm not seeing really anything anymore from it. And I'm seeing a lot well, of people use the, the JL apps and stuff like that. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with, um, well, one people just move on from thing to thing. Right. But, um, I think a lot of like what you were talking about, how like there was so much dogma surrounding like what you could and couldn't talk about. And like people who wanted to try something new or change the recipes were like collectively like shunned by the community. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's like, that's not how you in, in, in motivate people to advance in a particular practice or like mastery of a particular practice, you know, um, by like telling them that what they're doing is wrong or, or, or like, I don't, I don't know, but I, I definitely agree with you. Like it's died out a lot. Um, but I learned a lot from KNF and I'm glad that I'm super thankful for it. Um, and uh, there's still some KNF inputs that make sense to me that I still use, you know, like I still like water soluble calcium. Um, I still like OHN probably never use an FPJ again. Um, maybe we'll see. We'll see. I did really, I did really like the premature raspberry or premature blackberry FPJs that I made. I always saw a really good response from that. And it seemed to like change the flavor of, of the weed when I used it. Um, but I'll, I'm sure I could just do it with an FPE also. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, uh, what else? Probably never do IML. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I, I'll do renditions of it. But, and I really, one thing I will say in like the ultimate nutritional input or ultimate input, I feel like in KNF is, is the, the IMO5, which, you know, after you go through the months of, you know, work getting there, um, where it's, it's like a fermented compost pretty much. Um, that's, I feel like was like the crux of the system and it got, people didn't talk about it as much. They want to do the, the, you know, the ferments and the, the other, the lactobacillus, 
but really having that like the inoculated compost from the beginning and that's your base that could be the only thing that you really need to use um so i started thinking about making like a targeted fermented nutritional input where it's like you know i'm i'm figuring out what my soil needs i'm getting you know you know my pile ready and then i'm inoculating with something like jms and and fermenting that pile like that and then applying that and just kind of that's it um where it's it's really targeted you know where it's like okay i'm gonna add you know gypsum i'm gonna add you know some some kind of like soybean meal or so or alfalfa meal something like that for nitrogen and then applying mm -hmm. that and just that that's it but there's no way i don't want to do the imo process for that when i can just you know simply inoculate it with something else or just having the leaf mold and just there it is um right but really the the route that i see myself going i'm like you know i'm just gonna apply the nutrients um like top dress you know over my mulch layer and then just do a liquid inoculant over that and just let it do its thing on the soil surface. And that's, that's what nature does. Yep. It's easy. You know, it's, it cuts a lot of the fat, um, mm -hmm. which I don't, I, it's just a time consuming thing. I would rather be doing a lot of things than just making inputs all, my whole life. Cause that turns kind of can turn into that where it's like, you're, you're not only farming or, or, or cultivating, but you're now you're like an input maker and it's you slowly see other facets of your life kind of kind of take a back seat to to what's going on because you're too engaged doing that so it's time management you know that's why i like to outsource my inoculant duty to the insects let the bugs do it yeah yeah just let the, let the worms get up there and worms. Yeah, it's, it encourage them to come in, you know, mm -hmm. and it doesn't take much. They really, they'll, they'll be there soon. You know, if you set the foundation for them. Totally. Totally. I mean, I love earthworm castings and insect frosts and it's super sustainable and it creates food for like chickens. And it just, it, it's just like this system that like just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and does more work and more work and more work for you. And then you have other things like resources that you can use in other places too from it um and that just that makes more sense to me i don't want to be renting a tractor and spending money on gas and going out there on a sunday and turning you know big piles of stuff like that's not that's not what i'm into i'm gonna let the bugs do it yeah amen to that yeah yeah so what's on the horizon for you johnny well like i said new york state is uh well i didn't say it but they're finally accepting applications for new cultivation um new cultivations so i'm hoping to hear back from or we're hoping to hear back sometime in january see if this project can get off the ground and then we're going to be you know getting the greenhouses established and you know bringing in soil and getting it you know optimized you know going out, getting a soil test, making sure things are looking good and getting the clone game going and getting some plants cool. to the ground. I'm really looking forward to it. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Oh man. It's, awesome. and it's, it's such a trip, you know, doing it where I grew up, um, up until I came back and visited New York state. When was it last summer? And it had been seven years since I'd been back and I actually had a, I got a cannabis felony the last time I was in New York. So 
I made a vow to myself. I'm like, I'm not coming back until cannabis is legal in New York state. And it took seven years, but I, you know, it finally happened and I, I made the trip back and just with the state of things in California, um, and everywhere, honestly, in the industry, lots of changes and it's not an easy time for anybody. I was like, this is, you know, a great time to, to kind of branch out and, and jump ship, come back here. Of course, the market's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be what it was probably ever again. Um, and that's all right. But doing, it was just hard to, hard to function in California. A lot of the place, people that I was working with and for, um, they weren't able to make it, you know, they couldn't, couldn't weather the storm, um, which most people didn't. And it's, um, if you're still in it at this point, you're just barely hanging on. Um, You've so diversified. what's that? You've diversified your revenue. Your yeah. Income. You know, I, I come back here and it's, it's, it's a, it's exciting to be like kind of in my old stomping grounds and be doing what I've that's spent the last decade of my life, um, learning how to do. Yeah. Yeah. Really. That's all I've done in the last 10 years is just nose to the grindstone and, and been working and really learning as much as I can about the plant. And then, you know, once I, once I took the, once I jumped and went into living soil, it was a whole nother, you know, set of things that I was learning and, you know, I'm trying to, to get a grasp on and optimize that. So it's fun. I, I like the, you know, I like the change and I like learning new things once I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I can do this. And it's, it's relatively, you know, easy at this point, like how can I level up and how can I challenge myself? Um, as far as just as, um, yeah, just, it's, it's a whole, whole new avenue to go down and it's, it's, it's exciting. That's you know, exciting. it makes it exciting again. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Sorry for you. Sounds like you got some good stuff coming. I hope it all works out. Yeah, me too. We'll see. New York State, so far, they haven't done the best with their rollout. So there might be another season of, you know, doing what I'm doing now. But if that's the case, then that's the case. I'll probably try to get some more plants outside. That's something I miss um, is having plants. Like it. Oh, yeah. Out. yeah, me too. It's tough to do here, though. Um, got to really choose your genetics wisely right right it's it's humid all summer and it's a it's a challenge you know it's for everything that you could grow in california out outdoors you could probably grow five percent of that well out here um just with the the climate being the way it is that's terrible i'm sorry <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all right well that gives me something to work on too i really I've been um, thinking about getting into breeding some, you know, New York, um, suitable New York varieties where, you know, I have some really hardy genetics that people are growing in Southern Oregon, um, which isn't quite the same climate, but it's... It's actually, it's sorry, close to the same climate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like so, what though? You know, what what genetics are you talking about? I have my eyes on in a project that I'd like to do um one of the hundreds of projects that i'd like to do but it's something that i feel like could be beneficial I, everybody wants to have a, a plant or two and if i could offer some something to people around here that it's going to do well in the area um and just kind of thrive in the environment that we have um it'd be a real real uh, special thing to be able to do that what what genetic do you have your eye on that's from southern oregon that you want to try out there um 
well, I don't know if it comes from Southern Oregon originally, but um, coffee. Um, it's something that Nick from Green Source Gardens, he got at an F2 or something and inbred it. So it's, it's really, um, you know, it's really stable at this point in time. And as a standalone, it's probably not going to have too much vigor because of how inbred it is. But as far as a backbone to incorporate it into projects, it's something that I have my eyes on for sure. Um, cool. Yeah, Nick really touts it as a hardy, resistant plant that can withstand, you know, lots of humidity and 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 do it well. So that's definitely something that, and you know, there's a lot of Royal Kush um, crosses that all do really well. And Royal Kush itself does amazing in, in bad weather. Um, Jaeger would probably do well out there. It probably would. Yeah. Um, my buddy had a, um, some sort of Pakistani cross that, you know, he didn't really do too much with the plants and he had a few other cultivars next to it and they all struggled. A lot of them got Sectoria. Um, this thing had almost no mold, um, no Sectoria, no powder mildew, and it just, you didn't have any trellis on it. It supported itself. Um, so that's definitely a contender as well. Something that, that I have my eyes on it's as it is, it's not something that I would want to have by itself just cause it's, it's one of those cultivars. It's so purple that it's, it's like black and it doesn't uh -huh. really have the aesthetic yeah. that a commercial market is going to be, you know, lining up for, but as far as like a, as a being a cultivator and wanting to have something that's going to perform well. Um, and be resistant to a lot of things that that was a winner for sure. Sweet. Do it. Play with some stuff. You want to trade genetics? Let's do it. I, I, think still, you, I, I think you told me about this uh, sour D I'm still waiting I, for. <laughs> I know. All right, let's do it. Let's make it happen. There's, there's no uh, holding back. I have, now. We'll get shit you that seeds. I have so many seeds right now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so fun. And I have all these, I have like a lot of crosses that I've done and I'm just like, I'm excited to run them and I'll run a few and then a bunch go in the back burner. So I have like a lot of things that are just sitting there that I'm really, you know, they're on the list. Um, the list is ever changing what I'm, you know, want to grow and what I end up growing. seems like it never holds up for too long, but no, I'll get you some of those, uh, the all okay. one sour D. I'd love them. Is there anything that I have that you want? I, have I want seeds. I want a little like a few, couple of each. I don't want a whole bunch. I want to be able to run like one or two of a few different kinds to okay. kind of see what's going on. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll just I'll yeah I'll give you more than what you give me. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a bunch. Well, I'm excited about it for sure. Cool. Awesome, dude. Well, we're right at an hour. How you feeling? Feeling good. Feeling good. Um, ready to call it if you are, but it's been, it's been fun. And we honestly, you know, every time we talk, it's like, we just, we just go and it's, it goes by quick. We just vibe. We're just vibing, man. And it's, it, it happens because we only talk like once every few months. So we, we get, get to catch up on a lot in that little time. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's good. And now that I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, in the OC group anymore. We don't get to chat anymore. So that group is, I don't hear, there's nothing. It kind of fizzled out. It did it die, yeah. It's pretty dead, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah when when i was no when i was no longer in it i got contacted by a few people and they're like why are you no longer in it and i was like i don't know and they're like well i don't want to do it either and so i think that's yeah it's, it fizzled out i it's been dead there has been no like interactions for for weeks i'm pretty sure which reminds well, me i gotta hit up tim just to say hi yeah yeah tim was on I here missed, not too long i missed now. him tim yeah since the man i think uh tim's gonna have his own show with ken soon on this channel nice he's just i'm just waiting for him to reach out and uh we'll set it up but are if you guys uh are ready we can call it a night i know luna you're not feeling very well yourself young lady i'm not feeling super hot i gotta go check on my indoor too well i hope you feel better luna thanks man let's go to talk they to you. Have cheap little saunas for sale they're like 150 bucks and it's not like <laughs> super nice but might be something you want to consider I'm into it, yeah, because this is the third time I've gotten sick in two months. I'm like, I'm so, I'm so tired of it. I can't, I can't go out. I can't, like, go out and see friends without getting sick. I'm like, this sucks. Bummer. So, okay, guys, with that, we'll cut it off. You guys can talk afterwards, but uh, <laughs> thanks for chat, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. Um, we've got, uh, uh, of course, the R&D is going to be going on. Or the next three days and then monday john should be back and uh we've got a great guest with leighton on monday as well and we'll see you guys then peace out everybody all right take it easy